Good morning. Today is Wednesday, December 29th, 2021. I've shared this with you before. It's something that I need to hear repeated on a regular basis. And perhaps you will benefit from the repetition as well. But it is something that speaks directly to us at this moment. So our Parsha contains the first seven of the ten plagues, the Eser Makos. And these ten plagues against the Egyptians intended to encourage Paro to let the Jews leave Egypt. These ten plagues hold many, many lessons for us on many levels. I mean, clearly, God could have simply provided one plague and kept it in place until Paro gave in. The idea of ten different plagues clearly means to teach us many different things. It teaches us lessons intended primarily for the Egyptians, but also for the Jews, lessons about God's control of the world. So the, the plagues come from different realms, from different directions, different aspects of the physical world, showing God's mastery over all of them. And in addition to those kinds of lessons, each one of the plagues teaches us moral lessons, lessons in how to live our lives better, as better people. And I want to share with you one of the most important. And what I want to share with you is very simply the commentary of the Birchas Peretz, which is the name of the work by the great Rabbi Yaakov Kanievsky, known as the Stipler Rav, who lived in B'nai Brak, passed away a number of years ago. And he comments on the following verse. The first plague was Dam. The second plague, Tsevardea, which we translate as frogs. I don't know if it was frogs or lizards or something like that, but we commonly use the word frogs. We'll use that translation. The Torah says in our parsha, "Vayet Aharon es yado al meme mitzrayim," and Aharon put out his arm, holding Moshe's staff, over the waters of Egypt. Vataal hatsvardeya, and the tsvardeya, this creature, rose up from the water. Vatchas as Eretz Mitzrayim, and they covered all of Mitzrayim. So our rabbis point out the grammatical point that Hatsvardea is singular. There was one creature, one frog, one animal. Rashi quotes the following from our rabbis in the Medrash. Rashi says, 
Aaron only drew up from the water one Tzvardea. And the Egyptians didn't like this creature. They started hitting it to get rid of it. And each time it was hit, it would divide and multiply and multiply. So that while there was only one creature to begin with, within a very short amount of time, with people hitting it and hitting it, trying to get rid of it, they had the opposite effect and it multiplied and it multiplied and very, very quickly it covered the entire land and made everybody crazy with suffering. That was the second place. So listen, please, to what Rabbi Kanievsky says in commenting. This is a translation of his commentary. When the Egyptians saw that hitting the frog caused it to multiply, the logical thing would be to stop hitting it in order not to be overrun by these creatures. But the Mida, the characteristic of anger, persuaded them just the opposite. That the more frogs there were, the more they had to hit. And the more the frogs multiplied, the more the Egyptians were consumed with anger and rage. And the more they lashed out and retaliated until the entire land of Egypt was covered with frogs. This is the way it always is with anger, says Rav Kanievsky. If we would listen and be quiet and not respond immediately when we are provoked, often the situation would calm down. But when we respond in kind, it usually causes an escalation of animosity and harm. Therefore, logically, when we are provoked, we should wait before responding and respond calmly. But our Mida of anger tells us, no, are you just going to take it like that in silence? Fight back. And the other person's Mida of anger tells him or her the same thing and respond even more forcefully. And the cycle of destruction continues until the whole land is covered with frogs. A friend of mine, Dr. Chaim Weiss of Blessed Memory, he used to refer to this as the Chartumim Syndrome because just a little bit later the Torah says, and the Khartumim, the magicians of Paro, the Egyptian magicians, did the same trick with their staffs. And they also caused the Tzfardim to cover Egypt.
they did a miracle of bringing about frogs to add to the miracle of the frogs that were already there. Chacham. If you want to do a miracle, bring a miracle to take away the frogs. What's the point of a miracle that just shows that you can be even more angry and enraged and cause more harm? That's the Chartumim syndrome where we become enraged and we make the situation worse and we multiply the problem when if we would have just been calm, it would have gone away. I know it takes great strength of character. But I have a very simple suggestion. And I make this suggestion to myself. And I allow you to listen in if you think you may benefit. The next time that I am provoked and I start to respond, I need to ask myself one simple question. What I am about to do or say, will it multiply the frogs? Now, on rare occasions, you can actually use this to your advantage. This is a true story about a man named Rabbi Ruvain Kott, K-O-T-T. He was born in a Polish shtetl in 1897. He was one of 15 children. His families were followers of the Ger Rebbe. They were a Hasidic family and they followed the Ger Rebbe. And this Ruvain was exceptionally smart and gifted and because of his intellect and his understanding, especially of the ways of the world, he was elevated and at a very young age, he was the representative of this Hasidic community to the outside world. In the 1920s, when the Polish president died, this young man, Ruvain, stood at the graveside with other clergy and delivered a eulogy on behalf of the Jews of Poland. In those years, although life seemed okay for the Jews of Poland, the Ger Rebbe sensed that trouble was coming and he urged his followers to get out of Poland and to move to Israel. At that time, it was under the British mandate. And as the Rebbe's right-hand man, Ruven Kat was put in charge of this mission of helping Jews leave Poland and to return to their ancestral homeland of Israel. But it was very difficult because at that time, Britain had a quota system that restricted the number of Jewish families they let in. So Ruvain, who was very brilliant, he made use of some legal technical loopholes 
because they would let families in, but they didn't regulate how many children could be in that family. So what he did is he collected money, bribed officials for bank for blank birth certificates. Of course, keep in mind, this is um, in a situation of Hatzalas Nefashas, literally saving the lives of these people. So any means necessary, any other prohibition is set aside in order to save lives. And he would then create new families, meaning he would take families. Let's say one family had two children, one family had eight children, one family had three children, and he would he would mix and match so that all of the families were presented as families that had between 11 and 15 children, which was not so unheard of. So that means that this child went with that family and that family went with this child and everybody got kind of mixed together and he had the documentation for it. And of course, the main issue is that everybody in the, in quotation marks, family has to stick with the story. You got to stick with the identity, stick with the story. And inevitably, a few didn't. And maybe it was a few of the kids that made a mistake if they were asked their last name or who's your father and they would make a mistake and, 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 and eventually, and eventually this scheme was found out and eventually this man, Ruben Kott, was arrested and put in prison. Ruvain was a religious Jew. Of course, the only food in the prison was non-kosher food. So every day his daughter brought him kosher food. It was a two-hour journey each way. And after several long months of imprisonment, Ruvain's brother got word that there would be a trial. And Ruvain's brother went to visit in the Warsaw jail to ask Ruvain which lawyer he wanted to represent him. Ruvain wrote something down on a piece of paper and said to his brother, take this and follow my instructions. Outside the jail, Ruvain's brother unfolded the paper. He was shocked to see the contents, which read, Hire for me the most anti-Semitic lawyer in Warsaw. <sighs> Ruvain's family didn't know what to think. They thought maybe he was starting to lose his mind while the months in, in, in prison. What do you mean, hire the most anti-Semitic lawyer in Warsaw? going to get yourself in, in, in worse trouble. But Ruvain's brother insisted. Ruvain was clear-minded. He knew what he's doing. He's smart. We're going to follow his instructions. And they went and found an attorney in Warsaw who was notorious for being a terrible anti-Semite. The day of the trial came. Hundreds of Hasidim from the shtetl came to support Reuven. And the court allowed Reuven three minutes 
to meet with his lawyer to prepare for his trial. That's it. To everyone's shock, this anti-Semitic lawyer stood up in court, made a persuasive argument, and Ruvain was found innocent, and he was released. No one could believe it. Back in the shtetl, everyone came up to Ruvain and said, what did you say to this lawyer, this anti-Semite, that he should be able to give such a beautiful and wonderful defense that you were acquitted. What did you say to him? So Ruvain said, I learned from the Talmud that if you're trying to make a business deal, if you can get the other person to say yes three times, the deal will work. So I wanted to ask three questions to this lawyer and to get him to say yes to all three. And then I knew I had it won. I said to my lawyer, do you hate us Jews? And the lawyer said, yes. And he said, do you want to see me rot and die in jail? And the lawyer said, yes, that's what I want. And then Ruvain asked, would you like to see all of us Jews leave Poland? And the lawyer said, yes, that would be my dream to get rid of all of you. So Ruvain said to him, Mr. Anti-Semite, what good is it going to do you to get rid of one measly Jew sitting in prison? I can arrange for all the Jews in Poland to leave if you just get me off. Ruvain got what he wanted because the lawyer was blinded with his own hatred. And Ruvain continued his work of gathering together these large families and moving to Israel. And this anti-Semitic lawyer began to help with getting the blank birth certificates and documents. Over the course of 20 years, listen to this, Ruvain helped tens of thousands of Jews escape Poland. Today, it is estimated that almost a half million descendants of those Polish Jews owe their lives to Ruvain Kot. And that story is told by Ruvain's granddaughter. She heard it from her mother, the daughter who brought kosher meals to her father in prison every day. So it can be helpful, but usually it's harmful. Anger causes us to lose our minds. My friends, I want to wish you a great day. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon 
in person.